And I feel like I should have come up with a Captain America shirt on. <laughs> the Marvels. It's good stuff. Whoop! Lost my spectacles. Well, that was good. I'm glad you're all here to celebrate with those who uh, were baptized today. Today, again, it's it's uh, an outward symbol or demonstration of what God's already done in our heart. We'd like to make sure people get that. We do it a little differently, so some of you guys may be familiar with the one-time backward thing. We just do it three times forward. Um, this is a little tradition that we do, and my back loves it. Um, I, I've broken my back and had two surgeries, so to be able to put somebody straight down and go back is... It's all about me, so that's why we, that's why we do it that way. Just kidding. Um, so let me, uh, let me ask you this question. Just You think about it. Don't, don't say anything out loud. But uh, who do you think Jesus is? When you think about Jesus Christ, who do you, who do you think he is? You think he's uh, kind of a fictional character that comes out of the Bible? Or do you think of a person, no, he's real, you know, he was a, you know, but he had some good things to say, he was a good moral teacher. Um, maybe you think he's a religious fanatic. Um, maybe you think he's God. Um, a lot of people have a lot of different thoughts on, on who God is, or who Jesus is, and what he came to do. We're kicking off a series that's going to lead us into Easter as we celebrate Easter. And by that, I don't mean celebrating the fact that there's chocolate bunnies and eggs that we get to eat, even though I'm in favor of that, just so you know, the chocolate part. Um, we're, going to be set, we're going to be looking at Easter and, le- and the events leading up to Easter, some of them anyways, uh, and Easter being the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so we want to, to look at this event, the, the greatest week in history, so in preparation for this, I thought, you know, I'm going to try to you know, start things out a little differently, maybe come up with the, the 10 greatest events in history. And I wanted to see if anybody would have put Jesus Christ on that list. You can go ahead and um, go to the, the all-knowing Google and do this for yourself. But I found a lot of events in history. I found a lot of lists of, you know, 10 greatest, 100 greatest, that kind of stuff. Some of them actually like put Jesus in there, but they also put you know Buddha and Confucius and Muhammad and you know all these other different religions in there, kind of you know, make sure everything's uh, nice and equal. Uh, so I thought, well, I'm going to go to and I'm going to find what Israel thinks as their greatest event. Certainly, Jesus has to be in Israel's greatest event. So I really struggled to find anything. I found something. This is weird. I found something on the official Israeli website, government website, from their embassy in South Africa. That's where the thing says it is. And in there, it talks about all the different events, not necessarily the greatest. It's just kind of listing things. And then it said life and ministry of Jesus. So at least they had his name in there, which I thought was pretty good. But we don't see this listed as the greatest week or the greatest event, this idea that God became flesh, lived a perfect life, died on a cross, was buried and rose again. We don't see that. And it probably shouldn't surprise us, right? Because those who don't know who Jesus is, those who don't understand who Jesus is, those who see this world in a more secular way or some other way than what the Bible teaches, they wouldn't put them on the list. It's interesting how the number of the greatest events, the number of those that are wars. (laughs) 
Wow, so that's what you guys think of the greatest events. This was the first world war that we had. Well, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to John chapter 12. It's page 1075 if you're using the Bible there in the seat. And, and we're going to look at um, who Jesus was. We're going to actually look at some things that the people around him thought he was, and then we're going to let Jesus speak for himself as to who he really is, because if you really want to know somebody, the best thing to do is be around them and let them speak for themselves. So we're going to do that. But uh, for some of you, this might be a new thing. Uh, you know, we've got people who have come to Christ recently, so this whole Bible thing is kind of new and, and learning different things. So I wanted to kind of give you the, the context, kind of set it up for you as to what's happening. This is called the triumphal entry. Jesus is coming into Jerusalem. It's not the first time he's coming into Jerusalem, uh, but it will be the last time that he comes into Jerusalem. And so what's happened here is about two or three weeks prior, Jesus is going around teaching. He shows up in Bethany because his real good friend Lazarus had died. And so he shows up, purposely shows up late. He purposely lets Lazarus die, is what uh, the Bible says, because he wants to show them something. They want, he wants to show the power that he has. So he shows up there and he raises Lazarus from the dead. That got a bunch of people really excited because Jesus has been doing miracles and teachings all over Israel, but now he's coming in closer to Jerusalem. And so they're excited. Not only is he closer, but he's actually doing miracles like two miles away in Bethany. Lazarus, everybody knows Lazarus. So they're really excited. And it says that a bunch of people believed in him. They, they placed their faith in him. They understood who he was, and they believed that he was God in the flesh. But then some of them decided to go tell the, the religious leaders. They didn't think so much of Jesus, and they wanted to stay on the good side of their religious leaders. And so I got the religious leaders worked up again. If you know anything about Jesus' time on earth, he constantly was up against religious people, uh, religious uh, authorities. He was constantly going up against them because they kept thinking that religion was the way to get to God. And he says, no, I'm the way to God. I'm, a relationship with me is the way to God. And so he always was you know, combating them. So the religious leaders decide, hey, we're going to kill Jesus. They're going to kill Jesus because, number one, they fear him. Or they fear what he uh, could possibly do to them and their power. If you read through John 12, we're not going to read all of it. Um, we're going to break it up a little bit because there's a lot in there. But if you were to read through that, they say, uh, you know, we need to um, get, you know, get rid of him because if we don't, Rome's going to come in here because Israel was under the oppression of Rome. Interesting thing about Israel, it kind of reminded me as I was searching their history. 1948, Israel became a nation, right? Do you know the last time that they were a nation? It was way before Christ was on the earth when Solomon was the king. After that, they went into a divided kingdom. We talked about that in the last several weeks. And then they were not a nation again. They were a group of people in that land, but they were always oppressed. They always had another country over them. So um, anyway, so they feared, the Pharisees feared that, that they would come in and take away, quote-unquote, our place, talking about the temple. Interesting that these religious leaders who supposedly worship God didn't see the temple as God's temple, but they saw it as their temple, our place. So they're afraid they're going to lose their power structure. You know, religious people, they like having people under them, you know, and they're the ones who get, they get to kind of control and, and marionette with religious rules and that kind of thing. They're also um, 
afraid of, of the fact that they were just going to literally lose the hearts of the people. They're going to lose um, what the power that they had. So they were jealous of Jesus. So Jesus, knowing he heats on, he takes off for Ephraim, heads out. This thing's kind of cool down for a little bit because he's got a plan. And then six days before Passover, Jesus returns to Bethany. Now, the Passover is a Jewish festival. It's huge. People from all over the world would come to Jerusalem. And it was a celebration of when God released Israel from Egypt back in the Old Testament. And all that he did to, to make that happen, and we're not going to go into the whole thing, but um, they were to sacrifice a lamb and put the blood of the lamb on the doorpost and on the header of the door. And as God came over with his plague of killing the oldest of the, of the family, oldest male of the family, he would go over Israel because he saw the blood. And so he passed over Israel. He went to Egypt. And there he, since they were, didn't believe that was what God was going to do, they didn't even believe in God, they experienced the death of the oldest male of the homes and of the animals that they had. So Israel, of course, celebrated that because that was God releasing them from slavery and oppression to Egypt. <clears throat> Excuse me. And so Jews from all over the country or over, all over the world would show up and be a part of that. So six days prior to that, Jesus shows up in Bethany. There's a large crowd. Anytime Jesus shows up, there's a large crowd. They want to see what he's doing. They want to see, hear what he's teaching. And of course, he raised Lazarus from the dead. And so they're just like, we got to go see this guy, see what he's all about. So we pick up uh, our story with Jesus entering into Jerusalem. is verse 12. So if you got your Bible open, it's going to be in verse 12. It'll also be up, be up on the screen. Where Jesus, despite the fact that he knows that they're going to kill him, he enters Jerusalem. Now, I don't know if any of you, if you were going to enter into Toledo and you knew somebody was going to kill you in Toledo, I don't think any of us would go into Toledo. If, you know, if, if they said, hey, we're going to kill Harold when he comes to Toledo. I think I'm going to stay out in Oregon, Northwood. You know, I'm, I'm kind of good out here. You know, Not Jesus. Despite this, he goes in to Jerusalem. So why does he return, knowing that his life is on the line? Why is he going to put himself as, at risk? And why did the people respond the way we're going to read it they responded? Because, again, this is the people responding this way. Jesus didn't set this up. Okay, so why do they do this? So we're going to talk a little bit about that. So first of all, verse 12, On the next day the large crowd who had come to the feast, the Passover, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took the branches of palm trees and went to meet him. Now, I know like when you're political, you know, the guy you voted for president, when he comes into town, isn't that what you do? Let's go grab the palm trees. Woo! Put the palm leaves down for the... No, huh? Okay. <clears throat> That's what I did. No wonder they were kind of looking at me weird. Anyways, so it took the branches of palm trees and went out to meet him and began to shout, Hosanna. Now, Hosanna is actually a Hebrew word, so you can go and tell people you know Hebrew. We just take it over into the English. And it means, oh, save. That's the base of it means, oh, save. So they see Jesus, oh, save us, save us. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. It comes out of Psalm 118. Even the king, or the Messiah of Israel. Now, why would they do this? Why would the people do this? Well, the people wanted to make Jesus their king. If you're familiar with the Gospels, if you're familiar with Jesus and what's going on in the first century, the Jewish people, like I said, were under oppression by Rome. So they couldn't do anything that they wanted to do. Rome was over them. 
And so they were looking for somebody, and the Old Testament told them that there's going to be somebody who comes along and, and frees them, who releases them from oppression. And so here's Jesus. He shows up, and for three years, he's healing people. He's uh, teaching with, it says, with authority, like nothing like any of their religious teachers could teach. When he teaches, like, wow, this stuff is good stuff. He's even raising people from the dead. Most recently, he raised our buddy Lazarus from the dead. This has to be the guy. This has to be the one that the Old Testament was telling us about, this, this Messiah, this king who's going to come and, and free us. And so they're, they're ready for it. And when they see him coming, and again, the people who, who saw uh, Lazarus raised from the dead, it says that they, they're kind of talking this up. And so for two or three weeks, they're going around, you know, you guys hear what Jesus did? You hear what Jesus did? You hear what Jesus did? And people are getting all worked up. You think he might be? Yeah, I think he might be. Well, then they hear he's coming to Jerusalem. Whether he wants to be or not, they want to make him their king. They want this guy leading him. Let's continue on because God wanted something happening from this. So it goes on. It says, Jesus, finding a young donkey, sat on it. And as it is written, going back to the Old Testament, it, just for those who, the, the translation that we use in the New American Standard Bible, uh, when it goes in caps like that, in this day and age, you have to understand, he's not yelling at us. Everybody get that? Okay. So it's just going back to the Old Testament, not yelling at us. As it is, because some of you guys are like all offended. Whoa, why do you get so worked up about it? Fear not, daughter of Zion or, or Israel. Behold, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. So God was going to use this opportunity to fulfill some prophecy. And it starts back in Zechariah. If you want to have a good name for a kid, Zechariah 9.9. And it said, that's what those bold letters are, that your king is going to come on a colt or on a donkey. It's kind of weird, right? Here comes Jesus. Here comes Jesus on the donkey. Right? Because a, a, a king would come in on a what? A stallion, a horse. Yeah, a white horse right? Comes on in. So they're all excited, but he gets on a donkey. And not just any donkey. This was a young donkey. So his feet are probably dragging on the ground. When he, these little things wiggling in, he's dragging his feet. On. This isn't a very pretty sight. Because back then, when a king came in peace, he came on a donkey. Again, we don't get all this. You know, if we knew a king was coming in to town or a president was coming into town in peace, you know, maybe he's driving a, you know, a Chevette or a, um, you know, something small car. I don't know. I'm trying to make it our day and it's just not working. I'm going to move on. <laughs> so he comes in on this donkey. Zechariah said this 520 years before Jesus ever came. So God's trying to get the Israelites of his day to understand, hey, listen, this is the guy that I'm talking about. Then you have Daniel 9. Now, this is written not quite 500 years prior to. And what Daniel says, he's in captivity. Now, if you haven't been here the last several weeks, we've been talking about some things that happened back in the Old Testament during the time that Israel was in captivity. And so we were in Nehemiah last week. Nehemiah was told by King Artaxerxes from the Persian uh, kingdom. He said, hey, you go back and you can go ahead and, and rebuild Jerusalem. Prior to that, Daniel, who's also in captivity... He writes down that, hey, there's going to be a decree from one of the kings who's going to say, you can go back and rebuild Jerusalem. 
And when it happens, it's going to be 483 years from that decree that your king is going to ride into Jerusalem. Their calendar is different than our calendar. It's like 360 years, and you can do the math. I'm not going to get into it. But anyways, 483 years from the decree that Nehemiah got in Nehemiah chapter 1 to when Jesus came into Jerusalem was 483 years. That's crazy. But again, he, he's wanting them to understand that this is the king that you guys have been waiting for. May not be exactly what you think he is, but because he is, you need to listen to him. You need to understand what he's saying. Don't come at him with what you think he should be. Don't come at him with what you want him to be. Come at him with who is he? Who does he say he is? But here's the problem. The people didn't understand, including his own disciples. Look at this. These things his disciples did not understand at, the, at first. But when Jesus was glorified, so after his resurrection, and you can read in Luke 23, then they remembered that these things were written of him and that they had done these things to him. So after his resurrection, Jesus shows up, and we're going to talk more about that after Easter. We're going to have a, seri- or a Sunday where we talk about what happened after Easter. Everyone goes, oh, Easter, Jesus rose from the dead. And it's kind of like crickets. What happened afterwards, right? So we're going to talk a little bit about that. Anyways, so Jesus shows up, give you a little... A taste of this. So he so, shows up, and then he tells them again, everything he's taught for three years, basically, he goes over, summarizes again, and they're like, oh, oh, you're God. Oh, I get it. You know, that's everything. And then they took off from there and changed the world, even though, of course, it's not part of the greatest events of history. Well, let me just give you a quick summary, and then we're going to move on to the next, some other verses. So John goes on, and he tells us that those who saw Lazarus raised from the dead. They're the ones who's getting all this stuff worked up. They get the ball rolling. The religious leaders are ticked off. They're not only going to kill Jesus, but now they want to kill Lazarus because, well, why not? Because after all, he's the one who's raised from the dead. Then the, the uh, Pharisees say at one point, they, got, they start yelling at each other. John just mentions it, but they're yelling at each other saying, you guys can't stop this. Why can't you stop Jesus? And they're yelling at each other, which is kind of weird. But he said, look, the whole world's going after him. You know, jealous much? The whole world's going, a little exaggeration. But the interesting thing is that John then takes that and he says, hey, by the way, there's some Greeks who came to talk to Jesus. These Greeks were non-Jewish people who were worshiping the God of Israel. So yeah, the whole world basically, in that sense, is worshiping or coming after Jesus. So they want to know who he is. It says they want to see him, which really means they want to meet him. They want to know him. They want to have this interaction with him, find out who he is, why he's there. What we're going to read is the last public teaching that John records. There's, there's other teaching that he does, but in John's gospel, these are the last public teaching that Jesus does. John 13 and on, the rest of that is, is him teaching the disciples, the 12 disciples. So we're going to read what his last words were, at least again, according to John. There's a lot in these verses, all right? So I want to read through them, and then I want to pull out three or four big points for us to, to jump on. So Jesus answered them. So, hey, we want to see Jesus. Taught to the disciples. Hey, these guys want to see you. So then Jesus answers them, answers the disciples, answers these Greek guys, um, answers everybody who's listening, of course. You know, so it's, he's just now he's going to be talking to everybody. The hour has come. 
for the Son of Man to be glorified. So now he's going to say, okay, I've done this for three years, but let me try it one more time. Let me just try to explain to you who I am, what I'm all about. So the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, so listen up. I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. So he's, for, he's, he's saying, hey, listen, there's, I'm going to die. I'm going to be the one that's going to be going into the ground. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. He who loves his life loses it. He who hates his life in this world will keep it to eternal life. If, if, if you're all about you, if you have a, the love there means fondness. If you have a fondness for yourself, that, that so much so that you're not even thinking about God, and if you're just got a fondness for yourself, you're going to lose your life. You're going to destroy this life, and you're going to destroy your eternal life. And he who hates his life or, or has a fondness uh, for Christ more than themselves or for God more than themselves, he'll keep it to eternal life. If anyone serves me or is serving me, he must follow me. If you say, hey, I'm a follower of Christ, then you, then you need to do life God's way. Follow Christ. And where I am, there my servant will be also. What I'm doing, you're doing. The cool thing is, is he's in heaven, which means for those of us who place our faith in Christ, where he is, we're going to be, you know. The Father, if anyone serves me or is serving me, the Father will honor him. God's going to honor us. Now, my soul has become troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? But for this purpose, I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice comes out of heaven. So God says, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. So the crowd of people who stood by and heard it were saying that it had thundered. Others were saying an angel has spoken to him. Why can't they just say it was God? You know, it's just kind of funny. Everyone's so fascinated with angels. Um, I, had a, I had a boss years ago, and he kind of got into Satanism and all that kind of stuff. And uh, so we were talking, well, I'm in high school. So we're talking one day, and I'm like, why would you worship Satan? He was created by the God that I worship. You know, it's, it's kind of weird. Everybody's fascinated with everything else but God. Anyways, Jesus answered and said, this voice has not come for my sake, but for your sakes. You guys needed to listen to what he said. Now judgment is upon this world. Now the ruler of this world, Satan, will be cast out. And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. But he was saying this to indicate the kind of death by which he was to die. The crowd then answered, we've heard um, out of the law that Christ is to remain forever. In other words, if you're Christ, you're supposed to remain forever. And then how can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is the Son of Man? So they're like, I'm not really sure what you're talking about. So Jesus said to them, for a little while longer, the light, speaking of himself, he's the one who brings spiritual clarity, is among you. Walk while you have the light, so that darkness, the spiritual blindness, will not overtake you. He who walks in darkness does not know where he goes. If, if a person's spiritually blind, they're all over the place. They don't really know where they're going. They don't know really how to connect with God and, and follow God. While you have the light, believe in the light, so you may become sons of the light or people of the light, children of the light. These things Jesus spoke, and he went away and hid himself from them. So now he's, he said all that, done, no more public ministry. And so he's going to go off and start working with the disciples a little more closely. But in these verses, there's three or four things that I want to pull out 
There's a lot of stuff, but I want to pull out three or four things. The first thing, why did Jesus come into, why did Jesus come to, to, to the earth? But why did he come in this last time? The first one was to glorify himself. Now, glorify, that's a big Christianese word. Christians love to wor- use that word. A lot of times we don't even know what it means, but we use it anyways because it sounds really, really good. It basically means this. There's a lot to it, but it basically means this. Glory, or when God glorifies himself, or Jesus glorifies himself, he's revealing something about himself. He's shining the light on himself so people can see who he is. So when God glorifies himself, he's showing his character, his power. He's showing who he is and how he operates. When we glorify God, we do life God's way, which shows other people who God is by how we live our lives. When we glorify ourselves, we're showing, because we can do that, we're showing everybody who we are. So like, you know, when I get angry or something and get all upset about something, I'm showing the glory of Harold. <laughs> he gets angry and then he's yelling and he's punching walls. I don't do that anymore. <laughs> so anyways, so everyone in Jesus' day saw Jesus as a king, rightfully so, but they missed the point of what kind of king he was. He wasn't coming this time to set up a kingdom. We find out from the Bible that in the future, our future, he's going to do that. This time he came as a savior. This time he came in order to, to break the power of sin in our lives, to, to remove our sin so we can have a relationship with him, we can have spiritual life. Jesus didn't come as a genie for the Israelis. He didn't, he didn't come to say, you know, for them to go, hey, listen, we want to have this in our lives. Can you do it? Oh, sure. You know, make it happen. That's not what he's there for. He's not a, a personal genie for these people. Jesus has been trying to tell them, listen, you know, governmental oppression, yeah, bad thing. But even if I free you from governmental oppression, you're only as free until you die. God and Jesus, they care more. He cares more, pardon me. He cares more about our future, our eternity. Spiritual oppression impacts us for eternity because our sin places us in a position before God where, sadly, he's got to judge our sin. And the Bible says that judgment is for eternity in hell. Nobody likes that. And Jesus is like, I don't like it either. That's why I'm going to do something about it. I'm the only one who can do something about it. I'm the only one. I'm God. I became flesh. I can do something about it. And so that's what he talks about next, that he's going to die for people. He's going to give freedom from the spiritual oppression that we feel and experience and know. For eternity, but even here on earth, he can give us the power to to have our lives transformed and become more and more like Christ. We don't become perfect on this side of heaven, but we can become more and more like Christ, live more and more like him. And so he's going to die. So he talks about the seed being put into the ground, and when he comes up, there's going to be a huge harvest of people coming to Christ. That's why he says, I'm going to be lifted up. And draw men to myself. He's going to die in a cross. He's going to be our substitute. So that we don't have to die an eternal death. He covered it. He took care of it. He was our substitute. And Jesus says, the last thing he says, he, he came to be the light. And if you don't get anything else from this, I hope you get this. What does, what does light do in a dark room? Lights up the room, right? It exposes what's in the room. Helps you understand what's in the room. And until you go over and flip the switch, 
you won't know what's in that room. That's why you say if you're in darkness, you go into a dark room, you don't know what's there, you, you, know, you stumble around. That's why we have nightlights in our house. I'm really good at stubbing my toe. But let's just say, for, for sake of argument, you've never seen electricity before. Okay? And you and I walk in, and I have, and you and I walk into a room, and you're like, whoa, it's dark in here. Can't see a thing. Pitch black. So yeah, uh, there, over there, there's a, a thing called a switch. It's just a little thing sticking out of a wall. If you flip that up, it'll actually give light. Oh, really? Yeah. I don't believe you. No, no, seriously. You just go, yeah, I don't believe it's over there. I don't, I don't believe there's such a thing that could actually give light to this room. I don't, I don't get it. Let me explain a little bit about electricity. And so I tell them about electricity. I don't know anything, but let's just act like I do. You know, I can build a house, but I can't electrify it. I can burn it too, but that's besides the point. <laughs> so I tell them all about it. I said, just go over there. And, okay, well, thanks for the information, but I don't believe that there's such a thing as a light that can actually give me light. If that person wants light in a the room, they have to take the step of faith to go over and flip the light switch on. That's what Jesus is saying here. Now, here's the scary part for all of us, maybe. Jesus is saying, listen, I'm the light. I'm the one who's going to give you understanding. Notice he doesn't say, I'm going to give you understanding first. He says, I'm, come to me and I will give you the light. I will be the light. I will be the one who gives you understanding. You ever notice, if you're reading through the Gospels, Jesus comes up to somebody uh, who's blind and uh, so he walks up to him, and he says, hey, do you, do you want to be able to see? Yes, I want to be able to see. All right, so what does Jesus do? A couple times he spits in the guy's eye, or he spits in the dirt, rubs it, puts it on the guy's eye. You imagine if the guy says, whoa, 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 give me, hang on, I need to understand this. What's the, the chemical makeup of your spit to, uh, so that it goes in my eye and it's going to heal me? What, I don't want your spit in my eye right now because I... I want to make sure I understand the spit and why you're doing the spit in order to be healed. I don't know. If I was blind and Jesus said to me, hey, you want to see? I'll be like, spit in my eye, hit me in the face. <laughs> what do I want to see, right? So there was no questions like that. They said, we want to see. And so Jesus spit in a guy's eye and put dirt in another guy's eye. Kind of weird. I get it. But he did. Guy who's uh, been laying there, can't walk, Born that way, Jesus says, hey, you want to walk? Yes, but first let's talk about how are you going to actually get my legs and the muscles that are atrophied at this point and no longer, how are you going to, no, no question about that. They just said yes. Based on what Jesus has taught and done, yes. Then they understood everything and sometimes they didn't even care that spit was in their eye or their other muscles were. Point is this. Some of you might be here this morning and, and you don't have a relationship with God through faith in Christ. And you're, what you're waiting for is, I want to know, I, I need to, you got to convince me. Well, I can give you some arguments, some really good arguments for why we believe there's a God. There's actually some debatable arguments that you can have as to why there's a God. You can't prove evolution happened. It's a theory. That's why I call it a theory of evolution, even though everyone tries to make it more than that. It's not. It's a theory. So we have a theory that God, a designer, created this world. And so, you know, we believe that's the case. 
I just lost my train of thought. Oh, my word, how embarrassing. It's been a long week. This is where I test you. What did I just get done saying? I'm serious, I just lost my train of thought. That's been... Theory of evolution, yeah, toss that out. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> but thank you, I appreciate that. Uh, wow, that's so weird. He wants to be the light. All right, so anyways, we have to trust him. That's where I was going. So we have to trust him with that. We have to trust him with the unknown. I'm not really sure. I, I don't quite understand how this works, that God put on flesh, and he lived a perfect life. He died on a cross, and he rose again. I don't quite understand how all that works out, and I don't understand how that impacts... Here's the deal. Jesus is saying, trust me. Take a step of faith. Allow me to forgive you of your sin. Flip the switch of faith, and now you're going to get it. Now you're going to understand it. it doesn't, it's not how we work as humans. But God's saying, hey, listen, trust me. Because the last thing is the fact that he, he wants, he came to Jerusalem that day to die for you and me. He came to die for the people then too, but he was looking ahead. He came to Jerusalem that day knowing he was going to die at the end of that week. He was God. He didn't have to die. Even if he wasn't God, he still didn't have to die, right? He could have just never gone to Jerusalem again in his life. But he didn't. He chose. He went. He died. He died for your sin, for my sin. Because the greater oppression is the greater is the oppression of sin in our lives. Sin that as we live in it today, we destroy our lives. And if we leave ourselves in that situation, we don't accept God's forgiveness through faith in Christ, we're going to spend eternity in hell. He's taking, taking our eternal judgment on himself as the God-man, the perfect God-man. So we wouldn't have to. Well, as we close this morning, we do what we call takeaways. We like to kind of pull everything together and say, okay, what do we do with this? Um, because sometimes I say a lot, and uh, this morning is one of those days where I feel like I've said a lot. So how do we pull this together? First, I'd like to talk to some of you guys uh, here this morning that uh, may not know for sure that you have a relationship with God through faith in Christ. You, you don't remember a time maybe in your past where you kind of stopped life and you he said, God, please forgive me of my sin, and I'm trusting that Christ died on the cross for my sin. And more, you maybe you did, and you're ah, not really sure. Or you know for a second, you never done it. Let me challenge you with this first thing. And that's this. Have you flipped the switch of faith? Have you said, okay, I got a lot of questions. I got a, I'm not really sure about a lot of things. I don't quite understand it. Listen, I know it doesn't look like it. I'm 53 years old. I'm going to be 54 years old next Saturday. I'm just telling you all that. <laughs> uh, so 54 years old. I accepted the Lord when I was four years old. 50 years I've been a Christian. That's just crazy to me. I don't know everything. I'm still learning. I've had a week this week where I've just had to learn again. What does it mean? Do I got I got to trust God? There's stuff going on, and then I had to put a message together. And there's stuff distracting me, and things going on, and you know us being able to help other people. It's just been great. But I was, Lord, I'm not getting this message. And what do you want 
for me to put down. And in the middle of my message, I forget what I'm even saying. I mean, I am not. I am messed up. So if you don't get it all, you never will until you get to heaven. And then heaven's eternity. Somebody asks, why is heaven eternity long? Because God's infinite. It's going to take him that long to tell us about himself. Sounds good to me. You know, I'm not the smartest you know, tool, but it sounded pretty good to me. Anyways, take Christ at his word. He's God. He became flesh. He was perfect. So he lived the perfect life that you and I need to live. He lived it for us. He died our eternal death for us. He can do that because he's God. And just say, you know, God, I don't really quite understand all of it, but I'm going to take a step of faith here. I'm going to, I'm going to ask you to forgive me my sins, and I'm going to trust in Christ and Christ alone for my salvation. And then get into his word and begin to learn about who he is, and then things are going to open up. You can ask some of these people who have come to Christ here recently, and some of us who have been Christians for a long time. It's just amazing. All of a sudden things start making sense because the, the switch has been flipped. So here's what I want to do. I'm going to, I'm going to offer to pray kind of an example type of prayer. It's just a prayer that you can pray your heart to God. If, you, if you're confused or you're not really sure that you're a Christian or you think you might be, you're not really, let's make today, 3-14-21, six days before my birthday, let's make today the day that you, I just want to remind you guys, um, that today is the day that you pray to accept Christ as your Savior. That way there's no wondering. One of the reasons why there's no wondering is because I mark it on my calendar and every year I remind you. So some of you guys who've come to Christ and within the, you know, in the last year, year and a half, two years, you've gotten a little text from me, an email, whatever. Hey, just want to, you know, praise the Lord. You came to know the Lord last year at this time or a year and a half, you know, two years ago, whatever. So let me just pray this prayer. It's just your heart to God's heart. You don't have to pray it out loud. Just your heart to God's heart. Take a step of faith. Flip the switch of faith and just say, okay, I'm going I'm to take this step and let, let then Jesus be the light who reveals and understands. Give me understanding as I go. Just go ahead and close your eyes. And just pray something along these lines. Just say, God, I know that I'm a sinner, and I know now that my sin is what's keeping me from you. And there's nothing I can do to remove it. I can't be good enough. But I also know that Jesus died for my sins, took my punishment. I ask you, based on my faith in him, to forgive me of my sin. I thank you for your forgiveness. In Jesus' name, amen. If you've prayed that prayer, the Bible tells us that God's forgiven you of your sin, and then he's placed God the Holy Spirit into your life. And he's the one who's going to give you power to, to do life God's way, to, when you read the Bible, to help you understand. When you're here listening to messages, coming in Bible study, and that kind of stuff, to understand you know, how that works and what that looks like in your life. And it also says the Holy Spirit is the one who guarantees our way into heaven. So when we get to heaven, God's like, yeah, come on in because you got me in you, <laughs> right? Here's what I'd like you to do. This is something that I, I don't do this very often, but I want everybody to grab a, a Connect card. There might be one next to you. There might be one in front of you. But I want you to grab it, and I want you to hold it up. Now, some of you guys are going, I don't want to do this. Just humor me. My birthday's next Saturday. <laughs> Did I tell you my birthday's next Saturday? Yeah. So everybody grab it, hold it up. Let me see you got it. 
I know some of you guys are just like, oh, I'm, I hate him. Okay, here's what I want you to do. Put your name on it. On the blue side, all the way at the bottom, there's an A, B, C, D. Okay? So this is where some of you can just tell me what, you know, what to do with my card, if you want. So A, if you've already prayed, sometime before today, you prayed to accept Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you know that you've done that, and you're definite, when I, go to, when I die, I'm going to go to heaven. Mark that. Hit A. Write A. Check A. Whatever. Okay? If today, if it was today that you prayed to accept Christ as your Lord and Savior... Now, again, if you've prayed you know, to accept Christ in the past, you can only be spiritually born once. Just like you can only be spiritually born once. None of us ever want to go back and try that again, right? Including our moms. So you're spiritually born once. So when you've prayed that prayer, you meant it, you're saved. But if you did it today, then mark B. Okay? Believing today. So I prayed today to accept Christ as my Lord and Savior. If you're sitting there going, yeah, I'm still not quite convinced, Harold. <laughs> then Mark C. And if you give me your phone number or your email or address, whatever, um, I'll send you spam. No. I'll, and you want me to contact you and set up a time where we can talk? You're considering today? Yeah, I'm kind of considering that. I'd like to talk more about it. Love to be able to do that with you. Mark that. I'll give you a text or something. We can set up a time to talk. Or D. Don't have any interest in what you're talking about. <laughs> Mark that. Because if you don't, okay, I'm not going to hold it over your head. That's, that's between you and God. You know? uh, we'd love to have you, you know, keep coming on Sundays, hang out with us. Uh, we have a pretty good time. And then when you've done that, as, we leave this, as you leave this morning, go ahead and throw that in the offering bucket that's out there. There's a couple of them. And as the band comes up, let me just close with one more challenge, and that's those of us who have placed our faith in Christ. When the disciples finally realized it, and they understood who Jesus was and what he was all about and why he did what he did and, and all that good stuff, they went out and they changed the world. It's sad that no uh, history, greatest things of history, include what they had done. Twelve Guys, go out and they give us what we have today. That's a massive, incredible job that they've done. Mission they've accomplished. We have that mission today. So if you're a follower of Christ this morning here, well, you and I, we have a responsibility to be praying for those who don't know Christ and sharing Christ with those people. Let me give you an easy way to do that. This series and into Easter... Grab those cards, invite your friends, family, like Dave said, people you don't know, stay away from their kids. Um, okay. And invite people, pray for them. And attend a service with them. Maybe then attend a service on your own with your family so you can kind of have that family experience. Attend a service where you're serving. We got three of them, you can do all three. But let's start, let's tell people who Christ is. Let's see more people getting baptized. In fact, we're going to probably have one scheduled next month. And so let's see more people coming to Christ. Let's see more people proclaiming that publicly and see more people's lives transformed. And when we get to heaven, to see more people, more people that we know with us in heaven. Dave?